640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. We've got uh, Anna Bailao, former mayoral candidate and former deputy mayor of the city of Toronto. It's great to have you on. Good morning, Greg. And a fellow former deputy mayor joins us, Jennifer McKelvey, who's currently a Toronto City Councilor for Ward 25, who endorsed Anna Bailao uh, last summer during the mayoral bylaw. We'll find something for you two to not get along about some kind of contentious issue. Maybe one was a big Chiefs fan. One was a big 49ers fan last night. Jennifer, I'm going to find something in the next 20 minutes. Okay, let's get it. Any, uh, Jennifer, any takeaways from the Super Bowl for you? The commercials, the halftime, the game itself? Did you watch the whole thing? Oh, I watched the whole thing. Actually, I hope I'm not too hoarse this morning. It started out pretty <laughs> much as a snoozer, but there was a lot of screaming and yelling at the end. Um, so, you know, I was really surprised to see it go into overtime because at first I thought it was going to be a bit of a snooze fest. But um, the game was great. The halftime show, mm, I don't know. I, I think to me the big takeaway on that was I don't know why Usher didn't do uh, DJ Falling in Love. Like everybody was waiting for that. And so it was a little bit flat there. Um, but, you know, we also uh, we were at uh, Boston Pizza and every time Taylor came on, everybody screamed. We had a bit of a count going. So it just made it more fun. Screamed yeah. in a good way or was that was that divided among the uh, the audience? I hope in a good I way. In a good way. Good. I started it. So then I think nobody nobody in the restaurant wanted to, you know, do something bad once they thought a real Taylor fan was there. So uh, so it was fun. I think we got to 12 and then we lost count. Ah, I'm, And I'm so appreciative of the uh, deep dive into Usher's catalog. Anna, what was the Super Bowl like from uh, your perspective? So I, I was at home and so I really thought it was a snoozer. And, and <laughs> after the half show, I'm like, OK, I'm going to bed. Thankfully, I'm one of those really bad persons that has a TV and the bedroom. So I turned it on just for the heck of turning it on. And thank God I turned it on because the game really happened in the, you know, the the last quarter uh, of the Mm. time. And so I'm happy that I did. It was uh, at the end. It was good, but. It took some time. It to took some time. It uh, and, it, and, it built to a great 100% climax. On the half show is kind of I don't know if it's a generational thing. Like I was talking to my sister after, and and she was really into it. She's younger than me. I for me it wasn't one of those really cool shows. It was no Prince show. It was no YouTube show. No. None of those. Yeah. Yeah. There's that high standard and, and pressure. It's such a it's such an interesting trivia note that people uh, maybe not everybody knows that the performer does it for free. But the marketing you get, I mean, think he's got two Scotiabank Arena shows, Jennifer. So I'm sure a lot of tickets were bought last night, this morning by people thinking I'd like to see that whole concert. I mean, the worst that happens is someone says I'm not buying it, but it's it's worth millions of dollars to play from a marketing perspective. Yeah, it was it was a good show. I mean, was it the best show? No, I think he didn't feature some of his best songs, which was unfortunate. I know people wanted to see Bieber come out and he didn't. But I think that also makes sense. Like, you know, Bieber is like a mega mega star. So, I mean, you don't usually bring out a guest that's going to show you up. Right. Yeah, that's true. And Alicia was great and she looked great and she sounded great. I think she was the show. She was the best part of his show, actually, was Alicia Keys. Yeah. yeah, Bieber may still be tired from his performance here at the NHL All Star Game as a celebrity coach. That's 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 possible. That it's, it would just been it would have been too much. So he sort of slumped in his chair and and rolling like that. We've got Jennifer McKelvey and Anna Bilow on Think Tank. Uh, all right, so this is a big week, and let's go to the former counselor first, 
Uh, Anna, city budget deliberations come this week. And uh, obviously, you know, 26, 25 councillors plus a mayor. Not everybody's going to agree on where money goes. They all seem to agree on the importance of being, you know, very prudent with this particular budget and that, that Toronto needs a bit of a comeback. What are you expecting to see this week in terms of discussions and what are you in, in deliberations, Anna? I think people, councillors, have been positioning themselves. I mean, I, I think that there's going to be a few that are going to fight the overall tax rate increase. We can't expect that, that's for sure. There have been a few outspoken councillors um, and, and former councillors, for that yeah. matter. But, but I think that, that you can see that. But overall, the budget will pass. Um, like I said last week, you know, this is a $17 billion budget, and councillors will end up talking about, you know, probably $10, 12000000 million, even though the the mayor is trying to keep it at uh, at eight million, but they'll they might be going over that just because of the police vote. I do believe that there's a large number of councillors that are uh, supportive of giving the police what they asked for. So that's another vote that I expect uh, will be there, uh, and the Windrow uh, vote. So there's there's a few more things mm. that uh, will come up, and a few motions that uh, that will be placed. Uh, uh, that is very much the regular proce- procedure. I think um, everybody's going to be paying close attention to the police vote. That's the big question mark. Is it going to go through or not? But the budget mm-hmm. will be passed and uh, and the tax increase will be the 9.5%. Jennifer McKelvey. Oh, sorry about that. You, you talked to us, Jennifer, last time you were on about the police budget and we've had other councillors. I mean, Brad Bradford's been totally out there, but Arthi, also new new councillor, Parthi Candival. There's been others as well that have said, yeah, we, we need to have some flexibility on this. It's just too important an issue. The 911 response time is certainly, you know, that number being 22 minutes, Jennifer, circulating in communities. And do you think there's any wiggle room, any room for acquiescing and and giving from the mayor and the budget committee back uh, on that police front? I certainly think so. I think the numbers are on the side of supporting the full ask of the police. I think it's just a matter of like figuring out at this point how to operationalize that and make it happen. This is a $17 billion budget. We surely can find $12.7 million to give the Toronto police what they're asking for. You know, last year when I was in the office of the mayor, every morning I would receive a note from the police chief saying what had happened in our city overnight. And every morning I would send a note saying thank you in a different language just to reflect the diversity of people in the city and who they're taking care of. And mm-hmm. so when when Chief Demchew says that they need an additional $12.6 million so that they can have uh, more officers on the front line, I trust him, I believe him, and I think council has to, too. Some of what I noticed... Uh, oh, go and ahead, Anna, yeah. We've even seen, like, a lot of different events happening. I mean, look at all the protests and, and what we've been hearing from the chief. Just, just the protests alone have, have uh, costed them $7 million over uh, over staffing costs uh, since October, the last few months. So uh, there's pressures that the police is, uh, is feeling uh, that are, are not going to get any better. And I think mm. it would be wise on city council to, uh, to respond to that. Um, the Capitol Works, uh, Jennifer, Ben, Spur writes about it in the Toronto Star this morning, and the numbers that that he quotes is um, that budget, the idea of the good repair backlog, keeping you know sidewalks in good shape, especially arenas and parks, the Parks Department, that number is going to swell. And he lists it as $10.6 billion by the end of last year, 2023, to 10 years from now being $22.7 billion. And some of that's the attrition of buildings, and some of that's just period inflation. But you know, your fellow counselor, Lily Chang, calls those numbers apocalyptic. It's a huge issue. And right now, people aren't seeing a lot of coverage of those issues in this particular budget. But but that's the kind of stuff that really matters and uh, on the ground level for a lot of residents. 
When I started uh, in 2018, so in 2019, we had a major report on the state of good repair on the TPC. We knew the number. We had a plan to address that. And then unfortunately, what happened with COVID is that we paused capital investment. And a lot of the state of good repair work was was what got put to the lower shelf. And that was how we balanced through those years um, to get through with the decrease in revenue that we had um, in the budgetary pressures. Now we're at a point where we have to reset, recast that capital plan, and we are doing that. So there's a couple things to note. The first is the upload of the gardener. I know that was one of the things that, that Anna Baila mm-hmm. was uh, very vocal about. That will free up, we think, about $3 billion in the capital plan that can be reassigned to other priorities. I've asked to report back on that in the summer to see how we do that in a very systematic way. I mean, we don't want this to turn into you get an arena and you get cricket and you get this. Like, we really have to address the backlog. So the report will outline the investments needed in transportation, TTC, and parks um, for state of good repair. But then it'll also go further to say, what are those capital projects that keep getting pushed away? And a great example of that is ice rinks, cricket, and winterized washrooms. Every year I ask for a briefing note that says, when is the next ice rink coming out to East Scarborough? Every year I have to go back to the community and say it's the same number of years out because it just keeps getting deprioritized. So I think there's a lot of a lot of change you're going to see in the summer around uh, the state of good repair backlog, but I think things will start moving in the direction, as they are this year. The mayor has moved $50 million back in on that, and um, that's kind of a pre-payment, so to speak, on the gardener. Uh, so there will be money, additional money that's going forward for state of good repair this year. And Anna, on this front, I mean, so much of this um, and, and learning from mayoral candidates like yourself on the on, on the campaign trail in the spring and summer, a lot of this is just like a household budget. It's about prioritizing. What what can we wait a couple of years for, to Jennifer's point? But what do we really need to do now in terms of roads, infrastructure, um, TTC vehicles? Those are big things, right, to spend money on. I, it, it's you're absolutely right. It's prioritizing and and making sure that there's a system in place, which which I understand the budget is doing. So that's moving in the right direction. I, I was a little bit surprised by um, the mayor coming back with this tagline of "back on track" or "back on track," because uh, Greg, there's a structural issue with the way that the city is funded, and when we talk about the new deal, this. This new deal is just the beginning. It needs to be just the beginning. And we clearly see, I mean, the budget is not even passed, and we're already talking about all this backlog that is happening, that we know that it's, it's there. So the conversation with the other orders of government, and really inside City Hall, because we can't keep doing things just the way that we've been doing it up to now. It's, you know, it, it, things have to change. We need to innovate, and we need to continue to have the conversations. The gardener was the beginning, but the way that this city is funded, the largest city in the country, the fourth largest in, in North America, can continue to, to be the way that we've been doing it up to here. Otherwise, we're never, never going to be back on track. And is it also, is it a little bit of a, of a shot and maybe an unnecessary one? Everybody that gets into government, federally, provincially, municipally, is going to point and say, boy, we got left with a mess here, but... That, <laughs> Yeah, I, we kind of know what we know, right? Is it a little bit of a too much of a poke to the ribs of of uh, either the prior mayor or the or prior councils? We know that this structural deficit between the governments uh, has been there for a long time. We've been talking about mm-hmm. it for a long time, so the conversation um, uh, needs to continue. And what happened with the gardener it needs to be in other areas. I mean, since amalgamation, we know that all kinds of things that were downloaded to the city um, have been having a very negative impact uh, because there's no sources of revenue as well. But 
the city itself, we just can't be doing things the way that we've been doing and delivering the services the way that we've been doing. So I think it is really important that inside City Hall, we also look for, um, you know, what needs to be changed. How can the services be delivered uh, in a more effective way and in a more innovative way? I think that that it, it is imperative to do that also to get the credibility that the city needs to negotiate with the other orders of government. Anything else on that, Jennifer, before we move on? I want to give you give you your room there. No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Uh, there is the New Deal, but it is short term. It's only, mm-hmm. I think, three years. So um, we have to spend the next few years really getting the house in order. There is a big tax increase this year. Over the year, we have to find ways to, mm-hmm. to make sure we're not, we're not putting another 9% on residents next year. So that's the hard work ahead. Let me stay with you, uh, Jennifer. The last thing we need, and I spotted this uh, late last week, and I thought, how much of a story is this going to become? And that is a strike vote that electrical workers at the TTC took. Ninety nine point three percent in favor of strike action. They they will they'll say they say they'll walk off the job if the TTC and their CEO Rick Leary doesn't come back to the bargaining table with a reasonable proposal. Usually, Jennifer, we're able to avert these things. We haven't had any kind of labor disruption with the TTC for ages. It's the last thing the city needs right now. Um, are we confident that uh, that we can get a deal done with these workers? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I'm not part of the, the negotiating committees. I'm not a member of the mm-hmm. GTC board right now. Um, but there is that court ruling that happened last year. We were very surprised that um, they, they did give our GTC workers the mandate to strike again. And so I think we all are watching that closely and not just for uh, the electrical workers, but we have many, many different negotiations happening across the city with our unions. Um, a whole bunch of them are up for renew. So uh, it, we have to watch it closely. I'm hopeful that we don't end up with a strike. Um, I think you're going to see um, a strong, strong uh, mandate from the city to not want to strike, just given how many other negotiations are, are coming through the hopper. It's been so long, Anna, which is a good thing. It's a really a good thing that we find a way to make this work. We had a TTC strike in uh, 2008. Uh, people famously always still reference uh, the garbage strike uh, of the early part of this century. And um, we got enough issues, don't we? We've got to we've got to make sure we keep labor peace for essential services. Absolutely. I think that people still, even though that has been a long time ago, everybody still remembers the garbage strike in 2009 when uh, David Miller was mayor. And so I'm sure everybody will be paying close attention to how these negotiations are going to be rolling out with with Mayor Olivia Chow, which uh, is going to have a lot of them will happen this year. And again, will be a pressure uh, for next year's budget as well. So I think the tone will be set with with these workers um, and it will be tough negotiations, um, but we also all understand that the increase of uh, uh, the cost of living in the city. So workers, you know, are, you know, demanding mm-hmm. some of that to be uh, to be reflected on those negotiations. So but it will be uh, it will be tough negotiations. That's for sure. And everybody will be paying attention. And a bailout. Jennifer McKelvey joining us on Think Tank on 640 Toronto. Um, I want to get to this because we talk about this, I, I, I'm sure, a fair bit. And it's it's wanting good people and invested people to not just stay in politics, but to want to get into politics and stories like this, I worry, discourage them. And it involves the prime minister. He went to Bowmanville um, to a bar and a pub to show some support. There's going to be a local by-election out there. So he went to support the liberal party candidate and the brewery posted a picture of it. And uh, Anna, the the owner of it um, is, 
you know, enraged and probably rightly so that he's just getting barraged with online negative reviews and comments and a couple threats here and there. There are things you expect when you get into politics, but this isn't even a politician. This is a business owner. Bars and restaurants, it's hard enough to make this work. So I, I, I'm disgusted by seeing some of this, and I wish it was different, but I don't know how to stop things like this from transpiring. When you read this story, how do you react to it? I, I think we need to speak up. You know what? It, it, this is If we want people to be engaged and we want people to participate and to pay attention, we, we need to take uh, these conversations and the politicians to the places where they go, you know, to the brewery, to the coffee shop. These conversations, you know, conversations about our day-to-day issues, issues are happening everywhere. So the politicians going there, absolutely. And it means nothing. It doesn't mean that the business is necessarily supporting that person or not. A lot of the times it's the business decisions, you know, they're just thinking, you know, I'm having a tough time. There's going to be a lot of people coming through my door. So mm-hmm. why not? That's probably what they're thinking. And so uh, I think it is uh, imperative that, uh, that you know, we, we speak out when we see things like this. This is inappropriate. You know, uh, it is important to have uh, politicians visiting the different communities, being able to go into uh, establishments, uh, different communities, community spaces. Uh, it is really important that they listen. You know, they, they don't listen enough, in my opinion, a lot of times. So it is important that they listen and that they come and talk to uh, to uh, to the people in the different communities. So um, I, I, I think it's unacceptable. And, and I hope that a lot of people go out and support this brewery. So frustrating, isn't it, Jennifer? Like, we'll, we'll always, you know, have moments of, of disagreement ideologically or on a political issue. But what happened to civilized discourse and what happened to just plain respect? And again, this isn't even a politician where you walk up to somebody and say, hi, nice to meet you. I, I want to get an answer on this because I disagree with it. This is kind of almost like threatening and blacklisting a business that just decided to host an event. Yeah, it is horrible. It is, it is not acceptable. And you know, this is this is the prime minister. Of course, a business is going to open their doors and allow the prime minister to come in and say hello to people. Um, you know, that that's normal. That's good. That's good for democracy. Um, so it, it's horrible to see that this business is is receiving these horrible comments online. I hope everybody goes there and has a craft beer. I'm sure their beer is lovely, and <laughs> I'm hopeful one day I can get out there and try it too. Because we don't have a lot of craft beer in Eastern Scarborough, so I'll, it's worth the it's worth the ride to Bowmanville. Yeah, I like, I, I, and I think you had it right. I think the more you know, people say, "Well, you know, are you amplifying it? Are you encouraging?" It? No, it's it's got to be something that's discouraged. And I think when enough people stand up and say something isn't okay in a home, in a workplace, in a school, wherever, hopefully that that drowns it out. That's that's worked for a lot of other things. Hopefully, we can drown this kind of kind of you know. Again, it's uncivilized discourse as it is. Absolutely. And I think Jennifer was right. This is the prime minister of our country. Like what what kind of, you know, um, um, respect and and, and uh, relationships are we having even with these offices? We might not agree with the policy that that politician is, is putting forward or implementing. There's an election. There's an election at every time. There's nothing more powerful than the power of the mm-hmm. vote. That's how you should to demonstrate your discontent or, or support for somebody. Not in a way like this, especially with small business when they're going through tough times. All right, only a couple minutes left, but I saw the number jumped out at me that there's a million expired license plates in Ontario. Um, that from the Toronto Star this morning. We know the Premier scrapped the annual renewal fee before the 22 election. It was a big deal. It was it was uh, the, the, uh, the opposition leaders criticized it. And at the same time, Anna, I would say the combination of this combined with 
COVID times and not being sure if you had to renew or whether you should go to a service Ontario or not. All this has collaborated to make a lot of cars on the road um, deal with expired license plates right now. I, I don't know that we could go to our neighbors and explain exactly what the policy is. We just sort of muddle about and try and figure it out on our own. Is it almost too confusing for people or are people just being a, a bit lazy on this front? Yeah, I think this is a policy that was very popular. You know, if you talk to people out there, they really appreciate the fact they don't have to pay that that fee. Um, but the implementation of it uh, clearly is not working. I think the human behavior factor was not taking consideration that if people don't have to pay, they automatically feel they don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. And so uh, there was a step that was missed in here to create a process um, to have these reg- registrations uh, happening. And so um, I think they need to look, go back and, and look into how they can ensure that uh, that people continue to, to register. So it was it was a totally uh, misread on human behavior and the fact that people just because they don't they don't pay they they a lot of people are not even doing it um, uh, purposely it's just they they don't think they have to do anything it's like oh it's done it's gone <laughs> yeah Jennifer kind of that perfect storm of uh, of like I said well, well cops aren't going to stop us for this they got too many other things happening it's COVID times we don't have to do it and it wasn't necessarily explained that of course you have to keep re- renewing uh, your plate you're just not going to go uh, and get a physical sticker. Well, I'd love to say this is an unintended consequence, but it, it was entirely predictable. When you make something free, people think it doesn't have a value. Um, but people do get tickets. I got a ticket for it about three years ago. On, um, and, you know, I, I will say, though, I did get stopped for something else, and it just kind of tagged on there, too. Uh-huh. Um, but they did see in the system that I had it, and I just didn't put the sticker on. I had just, you know, um, forgotten it was the actual birthday. Um, so I think... We need to find a way to make sure people um, are doing this registration. It is important. Um, you need to have up-to-date information in the system. For example, if you're going on uh, the 407 or one of the toll highways, you know, there's many, many reasons why it's important that your, your contact information is up-to-date, your plate is up-to-date, and we have that value information. I'll just end by saying, though, that um, this change also limited municipalities and their ability to, to do a vehicle registration tax. So it actually took another revenue tool off the table for cities at a time where they're really struggling. And that was also unfortunate. That's such a great point uh, about the about the reasoning behind that. I got to leave it there. Thank you both so much for the time today. Thank you. There's Jennifer McKelvey, uh, city councillor and Anna Bailao, uh, 640 contributor and former deputy mayor.